Hello, and welcome to the Saga of Japan podcast, Episode 3, The Yamato Confederation. The mysterious Queen Himiko represents a political turning point in the Yayoi society. Her role in Yamatai and mentions of her spiritual way of demons tells us that in early societies in Japan, the ruler also functioned in a spiritual or religious role. After the death of Himiko, Japan enters the Kofun period, or tomb phase, lasting from around 300 to 538 CE. This period overlaps to an extent with the following Asuka period. During the Kofun phase, rulers, and later those who could afford it, were given burial mounds. The larger burial mounds for rulers would be surrounded by many smaller mounds for their attendants and workers. These mounds are stunning. The earliest Kofun would be constructed at the top of natural hills, resulting in a burial mound that appears unbelievably tall. Towards the middle of the tomb period, builders will begin constructing the burial mounds on flat ground. The tallest of the ancient tombs could be as high as 88 feet, or 27 meters. The tomb of Emperor Ojin, who lived from 270 CE to 310 CE, stretches a distance of over 1,300 feet. Some of the located Kofun have never been excavated. In many cases, this is due to the potential status as an imperial grave. According to the records, these tombs for some, such as Ojin's successor Nintoku, may have taken as long as two decades to build. If you were to unearth one of the stone tombs located within the burial mounds, you might find a few different artifacts. One such artifact that you are likely to find are Magatama. Magatama are comma shaped talismans, similar in appearance to half of the yin and yang symbol. The stones used in these necklaces dated as far back as the Zhoumen period. Gold and silver jewelry would also have made an appearance, and there are even examples of tombs with the inside walls painted. Various sculpted figures, called Haniwa, sometimes animal and other times human, would be placed around the tombs, almost as if they were attendants, and in similar fashion to the terracotta warriors. There are various theories as to the purpose of the Haniwa. Spirits throughout Japanese history are able to harm and seek revenge on those who wrong them in life, as we will see represented in Japanese art and literature in the coming centuries. It is possible that the Haniwa may not have been attendants serving the occupant of the tomb, but instead represented guards meant to protect the living from the spiritual realm. You'll recall in a previous episode that one of the earliest and oldest controversies among Japanese historians is the location of these early states, with some theorizing northern Kyushu and others supporting central Honshu. The earliest known Kofun are located near Kyoto, Nara, and Osaka, all in central Honshu, and Queen Himiko herself was buried in a Kofun. This is not conclusive by any stretch, but considering the timeline and the Kofun we have located, this particular aspect does seem to support the central Honshu side of the argument. Around this time in central Honshu, the kingdom of Yamato begins to rise. Due to a variety of factors, including potential typos on early Chinese documents, we don't know for certain if Yamato was the same kingdom as Yamatai, or if they were even related. The Neon Shoki does not mention Himiko by name, but it does list the earliest, likely legendary, emperors of Yamato. According to Japanese chroniclers, 16 emperors, beginning with Emperor Jimu, ruled Yamato between 711 BCE and 399 CE. Basic math will tell you that this means an average lifespan of over 100 years, which is pretty unlikely. 
While this sounds ridiculous, we must remember two things. One, early Japan suffers from a lack of reliable sources. Early historians had no choice but to draw from oral traditions and the few surviving documents they had at the time. Second, these same historians likely did not set out to tell facts as they happened, but rather to embellish and support an agenda. In the case of the imperial dynasty, this meant creating a long, continuous, and dignified line of ancestry to support the emperor. Those of you familiar with early Roman history, before the Republic, will recall that the earliest kings of Rome were remembered in a similar fashion. This is common in the ancient world when there is a lack of surviving records. History, and more specifically people who study it, hate leaving a void. But we can see some similarities between how the Romans recorded their kings and how Japanese chroniclers recorded their emperors. Sometimes we must be careful not to compare them directly to European examples. Although comparisons can be an important lens, not just to see how they're similar, but how they're different, we have to remember these are not the same places and they are not the same culture. For example, in Europe, many rulers claimed a divine mandate. This distinction means that they are not God or gods themselves, but rather they were appointed by God to rule. The emperor, while supposedly a god manifest as a descendant of Amaterasu, does not necessarily directly command, but he can act as a sort of arbiter between the warring clans. Godhood is never claimed by them. It is assumed. At the Yamato court, we see chieftains gaining power, as they control weapons and the production of rice. Many of these chieftains and clan leaders would have held titles of some form or another. This represented their relationship with the emperor. Furthermore, as both China and Korea were often divided between warring factions vying for control, clans would begin to immigrate to Yamato. Clans who escaped these regions would often settle in and be welcomed by the Yamato Confederation, particularly if they could bring any new skills, knowledge, and inventions from the mainland. In central Honshu, rice production begins to explode, likely due to innovations from Korean and Chinese immigrants. Methods of irrigation and water management lead to more efficient farming, which in turn leads to clans growing stronger. Some clans gain so much power that they eventually are made advisors to the ruler of Yamato, gaining a voice in governing the kingdom. The most powerful members of the strongest clans were called Omi, or Muraji. So if either of those titles pop up, just know the importance of that particular person in the hierarchy. The head of the clan would also be in charge of praying to a Shinto Kami, one that represented the clan within the hierarchy. The importance of titles meant that, over time, many started to claim false titles. Eventually, so many titles were claimed by so many that Emperor Ingyo issued an order for the heads of clans. In order to prove the legitimacy of their title, they must pass through an ordeal. The ordeal in question was a large container of scalding hot water placed upon a hill. Clan leaders would place their hands within the boiling water, and if they emerged unburned, their claims were true. Upon hearing this, the heads of clans with false claims fled in fear, and those with true claims bravely remained. The remaining clan leaders retained their titles, and over time began to exercise more control of the process of selecting an heir. Speaking of heirs, Emperor Ingyo had five sons, but his oldest, who was the crown prince, had an incestuous relationship with his sister. The clan leaders did not approve. One of his brothers, Anko, led a faction against his sibling. 
Anko's efforts resulted in the exile and suicide of the incestuous pair. Anko, victorious at first and ascending to the throne, would only rule for three years. One day, in the third year of his reign, Anko awoke from a nap. He asked his wife if she had any worries. Replying to Anko, she said, I am surrounded by your favors, and you are the emperor. What could I possibly worry about? Pausing a moment, he continued, I have something that worries me constantly. Anko did not realize that a seven-year-old son of one of his brothers, named Maiowa, whose father had been slain in the previous conflict, was playing within earshot. Anko continued, When Maiowa grows, what happens if he finds out I killed his father? Surely he will want revenge. Anko was right to be worried, for when he slept that night, Maiowa waited until the emperor was asleep. Thereafter, he took a sword and slit Anko's throat. This story is likely apocryphal, being taken directly from the Kojiki. I focus on it here as it is just one example among many of assassination and revenge. There are many such implausible stories within the Kojiki. Another example is, upon hearing of the murder, one of Anko's brothers was so indifferent and apathetic to his sibling's death that he was buried up to his waist, and, I must quote here, when he was buried up to his waist, both of his eyes burst out and he died. Anko's brother, Yuryaku, the youngest son of Ingyo, would take the throne on 456 CE. For the sake of a global perspective, this would be about 20 years before the fall of the Western Roman Empire. Recorded events from within the Nihon Shoki regarding Yuryaku tend to line up with Chinese recorded texts, so we can safely assume from this point that we are dealing with real figures, although the records of them are almost certainly biased or exaggerated to fit the agenda of the writer. The Nihon Shoki records Yuryaku as a cruel man with an unstable temperament. One day, upon climbing a mountain and surveying his land, Yuryaku spotted an impressive house built with raised logs. Upon seeing this house, and finding out who it belongs to, he is enraged that someone would build a house even close to the quality of a palace, and so he sends people to burn it down. The owner presents a white dog, apologizing for his apparent insubordination. This is apparently enough to convince Yuryaku not to burn the house down, and afterward, he will present the dog as a betrothal gift. Yuryaku even commands one beautiful woman he meets not to marry, because soon he will summon her to the palace. He quickly forgets her afterwards, and she waits so long for him that the Kojiki claims she becomes an old woman. Eventually, tired of waiting, she comes to him, at which point he admits that it was awfully nice of her to wait for so long, and while he would like to wed her, he has no interest in consummating a marriage with someone of her age. The Kojiki records that Yuryaku falls ill and dies after 124 years, which we have already discussed is very unlikely. The prince that is summoned to take his place, rather than become emperor, is so afraid of being assassinated that he actually flees, never to be seen or heard from again. After Yuryaku, we have a series of emperors that do not have much information, and so there is little we can learn from them. Emperor Sushun is one such case who was very minor in the Kojiki, but we have a little more information about him than is included in the text, and so we will discuss him more in the next episode. For now, I will read you his entire entry in the Kojiki. Quote, the emperor dwelt in the palace at Kurapasi and ruled the kingdom for four years. His tomb is on the hill at Kurapasi. End quote. 
Thank you, Kojiki. You painted me a picture. I feel like I was there. In any case, the successive Emperor's reigns and the Nihon Shoki are extremely short, with some reigning as little as two years. We can speculate that a rapid succession of emperors in such a short time indicates a chaotic and dynamic political situation. It also explains why Yuryaku's successor was so quick to flee rather than take the throne. With such an unstable situation, one of the first recorded clans to take advantage is the Soga clan, led by Soga no Iname, the great minister of Yamato. A quick note, in our studies of Japan, the family name comes first, while the given name comes second. So for example, Soga no Iname in Western countries would be called Iname Soga. Iname, a shrewd man, became great minister of Yamato in 536 CE. The position of great minister was an important one, and using his daughters as political assets, he made strategic marriages into the imperial house. His plan was so successful that the next five emperors could trace their lineage through the Soga clan. Marriages for political expediency are not uniquely a Japanese thing. Inami just happened to utilize this as a powerful method of merging his clan with the imperial house. Thus, when Inami proposed measures that would increase the emperor's power, he was by proxy increasing his own clan's power. In previous episodes, Japan would evolve as it imported agricultural tools and technology. Soon we will see a massive wave of imports from China and Korea, including poetry, methods of history, architecture, law, philosophy such as Confucianism, and of major note for the next episode, Buddhism.